going to read the scripture reading today. It's from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. You can follow along in your Bibles, on your smartphones, on the screen above you, or if you want, you can just close your eyes and you can just listen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the will of God, or the word of God. Thank you, Barb. My name is Sharon Anderson, one of the pastors here, and delighted to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. What a profound passage of Scripture. We need a spirit, don't we, in order to engage the Word, so I invite you to pray with me as I begin. Lord, we can never find words enough to describe the wonder of who you are and who we're called to be as your followers. But we thank you for the Word made real to us today. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that enlivens it. And I ask now that you'd take words spoken and thoughts given in each one of us and you'd use them to do what you intend to do, to encourage us and to remind us of who you are. We ask this in confidence, Lord. Thank you that you're here with us and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in this series called Too Big for Words, a series that sits with this um, passage that we've read every single week, all 18 verses. 
It's a big concept, isn't it? So much packed into those words. And some people might ask the question, well, can we really know who God is? How do we know what God is like? How do we find that out? I heard a story about a kindergarten teacher. She was observing her classroom. They'd been given an assignment to draw something, and she would walk around occasionally and watch some of the kids and see what they were doing. She came up to one girl who was very diligently drawing on her paper and asked her, what, what was her drawing about? And the little girl said, I'm drawing God. Okay, the teacher was quiet for a moment, pondered if she should say something, and then just said, well, no one really knows what God looks like. And the little girl kept on drawing and said, they will in a minute. <laughs> What does God really look like? Is there any way we can know what he looks like or what he's like? These are ideas too big for words and yet accessible to a little child who says, I think I can draw something of what God looks like. Today I'm going to just unpack one verse of this scripture and it's such a rich one. And I want to say it again to you. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to there. But um, this is verse 14 of John 1. It says this, The Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I confess to you as I prepared and studied on for this sermon and this very just one verse I faced it with a lot of joy and a lot of trepidation this is lofty information theologians have written and argued over this verse for centuries and who am I to say we're going to say find anything new and different maybe not maybe we're going to find something so simple and yet so profound that we can look at it with awe and wonder and receive it again this Christmas time. So let's just review a little bit where we've been. Pastor Mark has been taking us through this passage, and it starts with, well, John, who's writing about the Christmas story in a sense, never even uses Jesus' word until well after verse 14. He's called the word, logos, the reason, the one who is always been and always will be. Logos is depicted before time. We, we heard that the very first phrase there, in the beginning, reminds us of the creation story. And in the beginning, before time, always pre-existent is the word. Always there. Always there. The word was in the beginning with God, and the word was God. So in that very first part, we find out, theologically, we find out origin of Jesus, we find out relationship with the Father, and we find out his identity as God himself. Now why is that so important? Because if it's not truly God, when we get down to verse 14, it's just another baby being born. But when we look at this grand story... Too big for words, really. When we look at it in that way, we can find that everything else John tells us in the whole gospel account is tied into those three things. Origin, relationship, and identity. And hopefully, as we unpack it, we'll find out about our own humanity. We'll look at it in a new way, who we are in our origin, our relationship with the Father, 
and our identity. John had hinted earlier in this passage about the incarnation. If you look at verse 9 and 10, it says this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The light had always been there, but it was coming into the world. John says that this is, He was in the world, and though the world was made for him, through him, the world did not recognize him. He was coming. He was coming into the world. There was a sense of expectation and wonder. And then at a point in time and space, at a place we can put our walk upon on the earth, at a time we can look through history and say, yes, that's when it was, then verse 14 comes along and says, the word became flesh. Can we really know what God is like? I want to unpack this around these three words, weighty words for us today. First of all, the word flesh, the word dwell, and the word glory. Flesh, first of all, flesh. The word that pre-existent eternal God who was with the Father in communion with Father, Son, and Spirit, always in that place, now becomes flesh You know, when John uses that word, it's actually kind of a crude and blunt term. He could have said God took on a body or God is a man, but he uses the word flesh, and it reminds us it's just gritty. It's just like we are. It's like pinching your skin and saying, yes, this is flesh. This is what it's like. When God becomes flesh, we're looking at that. And God, the word, is subject to everything it means to be human. He's subject to weakness and to dependence on others, even to mortality. God, the word, becomes flesh and takes on everything it means to be human. Isn't that something to think of, that the very God, who is a partner, in fact, the scripture tells us he spoke and the word came, world came into being. Colossians tells us nothing that's been made except for, has been made except that he's done it. As God, the creator, becomes like his created. Now here's something important when you unpack that word flesh, though. When God came in flesh in in Jesus, he he never ceased to be God. He was fully God the whole time. There is a complete unity in his person between his divinity and his humanity. That's what the incarnation means. He was and always will be divine, holy God. And then he became fully and eternally human. Have you thought of that? Jesus is still human in a resurrected body. He's the Godhead made flesh. Maybe we can see what he looks like. You know, we sing about this at Christmas, and we did this morning, too, one of my favorite Christmas carols, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We said these words, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. This is the good news, that God is flesh. Well, throughout the centuries, people have written and pondered and argued over this whole idea of incarnation. We do know what the word means. Incarnate means 
taking on a body or becoming flesh. Carnal. We think of the word carnal as we use it in our vernacular. Incarnation is the event when that deity took on flesh. But more than that, what else can we know? It's such a profound thought and yet so tangible, so something we can grasp. I was thinking of this because on Friday I was able to go and see my new granddaughter. I had another grandchild born. My husband and I, well, all we got to do was celebrate it, right? They did all the work, right? But um, Sonia Joy Marie was born at the end of September. And I was up there with them on Friday. And I got to hold her. And she was swaddled all up in one of those cool things. I didn't have that when I had little kids, but they have the Velcro and they're just, oh, so tight and cozy. And she needed some uh, soothing, so I kind of bounced up and down with her. She fell asleep. And then she started to wake and I laid her in my lap and I unwrapped that swaddle, you know, and then the little arm gets free and it goes like this and then the other one and then the yawning. So precious. So beautiful. When I look at a baby, it reminds me, this is what God came to us as. As one who needed to be dependent on others, who needed to be cared for, who needed to be soothed. This is the miraculous word of the incarnation. God elevates humanity and our own experiences when Jesus becomes human. He behaved like any other baby. I don't know if that we think of that one song, Away in a Manger, No Crib for a Bed, The Little Lord Jesus, and it talks about no crying he makes. I don't think that really is true. <laughs> I've never met a human baby who didn't cry. Jesus cried. He needed to be soothed. He was dependent on his parents. Common, everyday things, and yet such deep truths that are too big for words. During many Advents, um, I've been reading through a book that was recommended to me by a fellow theolo- uh, pastor one year. It's written by a 4th century bishop from Alexandria named Athanasius. It's a little bit weighty, but it's wonderful good news. It's called On the Incarnation. And Athanasius at that time, he did so much writing and so much defending of this truth that God, that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. So I want to share one of his quotes from, from his book on the Incarnation, just to remind ourselves how lofty this truth is. At one and the same time, this is the wonder. As man, he was living a human life. And as word, he was sustaining the life of the universe. And as son, he was in constant union with the Father. As man, as word, as son, all of these truths in the same person of Jesus Christ. These are lofty thoughts. Too big for words as we say it. And yet, we can get very tangible. That's what it means when the word becomes flesh. So look at this quote that brings it back. And this is from Frederick Beekner, who is a 20th, 21st century, still living. He writes it this way. The incarnation is a kind of vast joke whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers. God in diapers. He writes it this way. 
until we too have taken the idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it, we have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. What is the scandal in this truth? What is it that makes us kind of pull back and say, really? God made in the flesh? Could it be that a kindergarten child could actually draw something and say, this is God? Scandalous. And yet that's the good news of the incarnation. That God takes on what looks like you and me. God becomes like us. Sometimes we make our images of God so ethereal, so out there, that there's no connection to our lives. God is just this floating kind of a spirit that just way out there in the, in the vast universe. Or sometimes we take the view of the baby Jesus and we sentimentalize it so much that it just becomes this sweet baby that we can just put in a little manger in our crush scenes and we can feel good about celebrating Christmas. But the truth of it is, is both. That God the eternal becomes God the baby who never stops being fully God. This is the startling news of the incarnation. God becoming flesh. And Jesus, he continued throughout his life to give witness to this in what he said. All the way through the Gospel of John, you'd find these places where Jesus will say, I and the Father am one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, when Philip came to him once and said, Philip, one of his disciples who'd walked with him all this time, said to him, oh Lord, would you just show us the Father? And Jesus said, Philip, Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father am one. This is the good news of flesh, something we can touch, something that could be held and be held. The second word is dwell. Another weighty word. What does it mean that the word became flesh and then it made its dwelling with us or dwelt among us? It means coming close. The Greek word is skenoa. And really, it's been translated a lot of different ways as I get there. Many different translations, if you look through versions of the scripture, and they're all, they all help us to understand what this means. Some say, he lived among us. It was part of our everyday life, part of the rhythm of what we did. He made his home among us. Jesus had a home that was right down the street from someone else who knew him. He lived here on earth with us. He moved into the neighborhood, is the way the message uses it, with uh, Eugene Peterson's. God moves into the neighborhood, and then he tabernacled. He pitched his tent right next to where we are. You know, that whole picture of pitching your tent, or, or that word tabernacle, would have been for John's um, readers, and probably for us, would bring something back to them. They would remember the tabernacle. And you may have heard stories or read about this in the scripture. The tabernacle was something that God had given to his people Israel through Moses, really clear instructions of how they were to construct this portable place of worship, of meeting with God. So the people brought beautiful um, uh, treasures to invest in this building and they built it just as God said and they put together the walls and the, the sides of it and all the, the holy objects that were movable as well. 
so that when the people moved around the desert, the tabernacle moved with them. The presence of God, the dwelling among them, the tabernacling. Can you imagine if you were in charge of moving the tent? You were really picking up the things and carrying a picture of the presence of God, pounding those nails, those spikes into the ground to hold it in place. This is the tabernacle of God with us. Close. The people could have walked right by on their way to their own tent and saying, oh, that's the tabernacle where I meet with God. It's a place where the heavenly and the earthly come together. But even this dwelling in Israel had some limits. And I'm read from this verse, and Exodus talks about this. Because the dwelling of God, the power of God came over it like a cloud. Listen to what it says in Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There was something then about the glory of the Lord that was a little bit too much to come close to. But now, in this verse, when the word becomes flesh, it's coming up right next to us. The glory of God veiled in human flesh, yes, but up close and personal in the person of Jesus Christ. Up close in the neighborhood giving the love of God in tangible ways. You know, we sometimes use that word incarnation about our own call to love people, to let them know who Jesus is, that we are incarnating the love of God. We are, putting, we are the fleshly revelation of how God loves others. And I heard through Pastor Mark this week of someone in our congregation who did just that, Barb Grinberg. I'm going to tell a little bit of her story and then she's going to come and share the end of it. Barb has a neighbor who is facing cancer. And when Barb was talking with her earlier this month, she heard that this neighbor was going to be going out of town to visit family. And when she came back, she'd have to be facing another treatment for her illness. The neighbor was looking at Barb and Arvid's house and saw the Christmas decorations, its tree up, and kind of thinking, uh, I'm not going to be able to do that. I just, I just can't make that happen this Christmas. But Barb, right at that moment, had an idea, and I'm going to have her come up and share some of this. This very clear thought came to her. You know what? You need to give her a Christmas tree this year. So what happened, Barb? Yep, I've, I've been trying to listen to God's voice with this whole blessed series and wanting to know, you know, how can I do a little thing for someone? And when she said that about not having time and, and trying to apologize for her house, I just said, I can do something. I can get a tree for her. How easy is that? So she went, she went on her trip, and as soon as she left, I went to her house and talked to her husband, and I told him I wanted to have a tree for her, and he said, oh, no, you don't have to do that. And I said, no, no, I do. I have to do that. In fact, I even told him, I said, you know, this might even be her last Christmas. We've got to do something. And he said, okay, but we just want a small one. And I said, well, how small? I said, can it be my size? Yeah, my size or lower. 
So I went to Safeway to find a tree, and I found the cutest little tree. It was just adorable. It was calling to me. And the other cool thing about this whole thing, this is why it's a God thing. This is the first year ever that we have an artificial tree that's pre-lit. So I already had the lights from my other tree. I had a stand. And so I had the tree. I brought it into the garage. I put all the lights on. And then Arvid and I carried it over, and I decorated it at their house while she was gone. And what was so cool is that very first night, I, I went outside to get the mail, and the tree had its lights on, which means that the husband was enjoying it himself, and he's not a Christian, and he was enjoying it until she came home. And when she came home, she just, she just really liked it. It was very cool. Thank you, Barb. Let's give her a hand for that. You know, it really, truly is a picture of the incarnated love of God. You think of all the symbolism in that, too, that they brought light into a place that was dark. They brought joy to a place that needed some encouragement. This is what dwelling among us, living in the neighborhood, is really about. Paying attention to who's around us. And when God moved into the neighborhood, he did just that. He paid attention to the people who he wanted to share the love of God with. Dwelling among us. God becomes flesh and is still with us. Now I know, we all know this, that the, the The bodily presence of Jesus is not here right now, right? He ascended to heaven. But here's the good news, and we have to just remember this, that the presence of Jesus is even more real for all of us because of the spirit he's given to live within us. That you yourself become a tabernacle of the spirit of God. He is with you every moment of every day. There's sometimes when I'm sitting in my chair at home and doing my prayer or reading the scripture and I have a little ottoman that sits in front of it and I will just imagine the Lord Jesus Christ coming to the front door and I open the door and he comes in and he sits there facing me and he, we talk to each other. This is the reality of God with us. Yes, we don't see him in the body, but we see him through faith and we know it through the Holy Spirit. God dwells with us. He's in the neighborhood. He's in your home. The third word that we're going to look at in this weighty passage of scripture is the word glory. I think the, the angels that were singing over there, glorious, good job, that beautiful angel song. We think of glory sometimes as beyond what we can imagine. And John himself in this passage said, puts himself there and says, we have seen his glory. I, he's saying, I'm an eyewitness. I was there. I saw the glory. I'm not just reading about it, but I saw it. And I wonder if John might have been thinking about the, the um, transfiguration, which is the time up on the mountain where Jesus was with a few of his disciples and that tells us that he was transformed before their eyes. His, he began to almost glow with an unearthly light. And they were awestruck. Yes, that was the glory of God, revealed in powerful ways. But John is probably also thinking about every single thing that he watched Jesus do and everything he heard Jesus say. All his teachings, all his miracles were part of the glory of God that was evident in the person of Jesus Christ. We have seen it, John says. We have seen it. The glory unfolds throughout his gospel and he talks about the miracles and he talks about the suffering. 
And he talks about Jesus' death and resurrection where glory is found in all of it. In death, in life, and in new life to come. Because God took on human flesh, that becomes possible. The rest of the gospel story makes no sense if God is not incarnated. We can't have an Easter celebration without the incarnation. We can't have salvation for our sins without the perfect representative in human form who became like us in all ways except without sin. The perfect human being. John ends his gospel with these words. He says, there are so many other things I could tell you about what Jesus did. There are too many to put in this book, he says. But in chapter 20, it says this, but these I've written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you will have life in his name. That's the point, is to have life because Christ gives us new life. So three weighty words, flesh, dwell, glory. Too grand for us to think about and yet as simple as decorating a Christmas tree to love a neighbor. As profound as the God before all time and as tangible as a baby swaddled up to sleep. His glory can blind us, and yet he's approachable. His greatness is totally unsurpassed, and yet he's accessible to us. He's completely beyond us, and yet he's completely with us. This is the good news of the incarnation. God in flesh, like us, to show us the way that it means to live with God. At this Christmas season, there may be some, we may know some, who like the kindergarten teacher think there's no way we can know what God looks like. We don't know what God is. And maybe you too really wonder, can God really be known? If Jesus dwells and lives among us, how do I see him? If you take a look at these letters in a row, G-O-D-I-S-N-O-W-H-E-R. Some would say that that phrase says, God is nowhere. I don't see him like the ones who John talked about who did not even recognize Jesus. God is nowhere. God hasn't shown up. God is not here. But those exact same letters with a new, fresh perspective remind us of the news of the incarnation. God is now here. He's here with us today. He will be with you tomorrow. God is now here. That's the news of the incarnation. And as we get closer to Christmas and this story which for many of us is so familiar, we miss the grandeur of it and the simplicity of it. God in human flesh. God, a person that looks and experiences things like I do. And yet God, the Holy Eternal One who makes my new life possible. My life and yours. This is the God that is now here. And we can celebrate that. 
He invites us to receive him again. Remember the scripture says, if for all who receive him, you have the right, you have the privilege to become a child of God and to know God with you, God now here. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we need this fresh perspective. Even if we've heard this story many times, we ask through your ever-present spirit, God now here, that you make space in us to receive your good news. Lord, within the incarnation, too lofty to put words around and yet so simple. May we ponder and receive that good news that God is now here with us and the glory of that would fill us to overflowing. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.